Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Glad you could join us for our continuation in our Heroes series, or actually Binge Worthy. What we've wanted to do is get everybody back into the Bible and realize that we have a binge-worthy project, something that's full of intrigue and amazing things. We're starting another part of our binge-worthy series today, and it's titled Heroes and Heroines. Now, before we get going, we have to get this straight, okay? God uses imperfect people. By the power of God, imperfect people can do amazing things. God uses imperfect people, and by his power, imperfect people can do great things. And Samson embodies this idea. He was set aside at birth to become a Nazarite, someone who was set aside to do what God wanted him to do. It was in a very tumultuous time, but he had a purpose from birth. But it seems, however, based upon the text and our reading of the text, is that most of his motivation was centered around selfish ambition and self-focusedness. He was focused on himself, which really led to a lot of problems. Now, before we get real, I've heard a lot of people give Samson a hard time, and he's an easy target to give a hard time. But we have to realize it's not fair for us to judge him based upon our standards today, because he lived in a much different time. There's a thing called the progression of revelation when it comes to Scripture. That is, there, when people were first revealed, they revealed this, God revealed certain things to them, it, it, it came in a progressive way. That is, people in the New Testament understood more about what was going on in the Old Testament because of all of the revelation, okay? So, we, we, we got to kind of take it easy on Samson, but I'm not going to go that easy on him today. Uh, something you need to know about the book of Judges. There's kind of a theme to this book, and, and it's very simple. In the New King James Version, ver- chapter 17, verse 6, says this, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's a big problem, but that kind of tells the story of what actually was happening. There was no king during this era, and everyone did what they thought was right in their own mind, okay? Now, the book of Judges comes upon the death of Joshua. If you remember Joshua, Joshua was the conqueror who brought the people out of the desert into the land of Cana, the land of promise, and they were to conquer the land and to settle the land. Well, they did that partially. In fact, this period of the book of Judges is written about a period of about 325 years from the death of Joshua all the way to the crowning of King Saul, the first king in Israel. All right, I'm giving you a lot of information, but here's, here's the big point here, is that the book of Judges really lets us know how bad a nation can get out of hand really quick. First couple of chapters talk about the fact that they didn't run the Canaanites out of the land. You say, well, what are they, what are they, they got to run people out of the land. Well, they had to run people out of the land 
Because he said, look, I want you to have this as your place, but you people have a unique message to the world. And if you go in and you let these other folks who worship all these weird gods, they sacrifice their children, and they do all of this stuff that's made up, and it's violent, listen, you're going to fall into it. It's going to be too tempting. You know, it's sort of like going um, bowling at the casino when you've got a gambling problem. I went to a friend of mine and said, you got to go with me to this casino. It was fantastic. Let's take all the kids. So we loaded up our families, which were pretty large, about eight kids all together. And we had to walk through this smoky casino to get to the, to the, um, to the bowling alley. And I just thought, I, I, it was great because I gave him a hard time all the time after that. I, anyway, it's a really boring story. and It's not in the notes. <laughs> Let's move on. All right. So, in chapter 2, he tells them really kind of this, there's this whole dysfunctional cycle. And he tells them, look, man, you guys didn't do what I said. You are hanging out, doing all the stuff with these Canaanite folks who you should have ran out, but you didn't. And so now their culture has encroached upon yours, and now you're in trouble with me. That's, that's God in relation to his people. And he says, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you some judges. And these judges will come, and, and they're going to have some military might, and they're going to lead the people, but you're, you're going to continue to fall back. You're going to continue to go the, your own way, and I'm not going to be able to bless any of it. In fact, what actually happens in this whole process is this cycle of sin and semi-repentance just continues on. Now, when we talk about the term uh, judges, we're not talking about a guy or a gal in a robe with a gavel, order in the court, none of that. Judges were more like <coughs> warlord chieftains who oversaw various tribes and various terrain, and they would gather an army together and attack their enemies because the enemies were constantly subduing them. In, in fact, in the case of Sam, Samson, it was the Philistines that were lording over them and really occupying their land. Now, what's interesting about this is that chapter 13 through 16 describe six different judges that had been given to Israel by God. We're going to discuss one of them next week, a gal by the name of Deborah. Uh, but with each one, it would seem that the leader and the country gets worse and worse and worse till we finally hit chapter 16, at the end of 16 with a guy by the name of Samuel, or Samson, who really is an incredible hero, a big, amazing, tough person who accomplishes great things, but who really is just a terrible, terrible judge in Israel. But though he is selfish, though he has been on doing his own thing, nevertheless, God uses him in very powerful ways. Now, just a little note here. If you binge on this book, know this, that I give it a R rating, and that's not for religious, okay? It is very disturbing. In fact, the last, from chapter 17 to 21, some of the most disturbing things you'll read. It was a, it was a time marked by rebellion against God and dealing with the consequences of that. 
You see, his people had a vocation. The vocation was to be the people of God so that the nations around them could see what God is like as he works within his people group. It was they were to be a light unto the Gentiles. And in this period, they failed miserably. <clears throat> All right. Samson has, in chapter 13, a miraculous birth. He had a barren mother. And uh, in fact, let's look at verse 1 of Judges 13. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man named Zorah, or from man of Zorah, named Manoah, from the clan of the Danites. In fact, you ever mispronounce something when you're reading and you, then you don't understand it? I kept reading over this, and I was actually going into the office to talk to Jamie and ask her about it. But I, I was calling it the Danites. And I'm thinking, who are the Danites? There's no... Anyways, the Danites. That's a boring story right there. Okay, good. Number two. We're two for two. Good. <laughs> she was childless and unable to give birth. Then the angel of the Lord appeared and said, You are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now, she, now see to it that you drink no wine, fermented drink, uh, especially kombucha. Anyway, uh, a few of you got that. I never drink it on Sundays. Anyway, or that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose, uh, whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So basically, she was to take what was a Nazarite, Nazarite vow until the time of her child's birth. Usually you would do this for about 30 days, but it meant to be separated to God, and you kind of put away some things so that you can really be focused upon God, which is always a fantastic idea. The difference was is that this boy, Samson, was going to be that way, dedicated to God from birth, and he was supposed to be that way for the rest of his life, okay? Now, here's the problem. Samson liked the ladies. Samson liked to, to he's kind of a tough guy and kind of a party guy. And in chapter 14, he comes to his parents and said, hey, I found a Philistine girl from Timna. Uh, why don't you make arrangements for me to be married to her? His parents are like, what? There's no, there's no good women here in Israel? What are you doing? These are Philistines. God told us to stick away. Don't marry with them. Don't get involved. They're involved in, in, in all kinds of weird worship. Really? Is that what you're going to do? Yeah, you know. I think it'd be great. And so they did. And he heads out to Timnah, and on his way, a lion attacks him. Like, that doesn't happen every day. Anyway, attacks him, and he kills it. Kills the lion, and then he comes back by a little bit later, uh, sometime later, and finds that they're, they're, the carcass is rotting, and uh, some bees have made a nest in the carcass. Okay? And so, like any guy, they go, hmm, what a perfect mashup. Honey and rotting carcass. I mean, you know, like if you buy uh, uh, honey from Los Poblanos, it's going to taste like lavender, right? And, but this tasted like rotting lion. Anyway, he loved it. It was delicious. So he gets to his uh, father-in-law's place, or soon-to-be father-in-law, and he, he's meeting with his companions before a wedding, and he gives them a riddle. And he says, if you can solve this riddle, let me tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to give you all a fresh set of brand-new clothes, okay? 
new clothes. And, but if there's 30 of you, if you don't guess this in seven days, I'm going to require of you that you give me 30 sets of new clothes. So, well, with that said, he gives him the challenge. He says, here's the, the riddle. From the one who eats came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. All right? He's talking about the lion. Well, they don't get it. They can't figure it out, so they go to his wife, and she says, listen, I can't do this. This is my husband. Why am I, I, can't, I can't do this. And they say, well, we're going to kill you and your dad and the rest of your family if you don't do it. So she was persuaded by that. <clears throat> and so she goes to him, asks him, and finally he tells her. And then the next day he shows up, and the men have the answer to the riddle, which makes him mad because he figures out that somebody told or tattled. And so he goes off to a town called Ashkelon, kills 30 guys, takes their clothes, and pays them back. Okay. I mean... I, I guess that's his currency, death. But he loves revenge. And so what happened after that, Samson got mad, went home to his family, and left his wife there, and his dad's like, ah, this guy's not coming back. So he gives his daughter to his best man. Samson hears about it, and he's like, all right, you Philistines, you're going to get it. Now, here's the interesting thing about all of this, is that Samson is not displaying any type of temperament that would make you think that he's dedicated himself to God, right? He doesn't really, sh he's the, the hero. He's, he's, he reminds me more like of Arnold Schwarzenegger in, uh, you know, Conan the Barbarian, Samson the Israelite. Anyway, so he just kind of reminds me of that character. I don't know that he was buff or anything, who knows. But the issue is, is that he takes these foxes, ties their tails together, over 300, I don't know how he did that, um, and then he lights, he ties up some, um, some uh, fuel to it and lights it up and sends it out into their fields, burns their fields down, they get mad, they come at him, he kills a bunch of them, and it's just this continuous cycle. And then they retaliate and they kill his ex-wife and his father-in-law. And then the cycle of retribution and revenge just continue and ten continue and continue. You see, this is what it means to live by the sword. Remember when Peter pulled out his sword in the garden, cut a guy's ear off, Jesus said, put up your sword. Peter, come on. Do you know that those who live by the sword will die by the sword? You ever find that out? Pay somebody back, get so mad, I'm going to get them back for what they did to me. Nobody's going to get away with that. And you get them back and what happens? Then they get you back. Or they tell their cousins and their cousins get you back. And it just goes on and on and on. And that's why Jesus said, it shouldn't be so among you. You know, it shouldn't be so among you. We forgive, and when you forgive and you do not retaliate, what happens? Well, the violence and all of that garbage stops with you. But if you want to live a life to where you need to have justice all the time, you need to have it your way, you're going to find yourself in conflict again and again and again. There's an old saying, 
that if you're looking for a fight, there's somebody looking for you. If you're looking for a fight, there's somebody looking for you. But here's what's interesting. That though he was self-absorbed and vengeful, God used him because he would use the judges, these warlords, to kick against the enemies of his people. To show them that there was a God who, listen, this guy was doing crazy stuff. And he was.